And I'm Allie. And it's about time for true crime. Hey! Hi! How are you? Ah! I'm very excited for today. I am so pumped. I'm on the edge of my seat. Literally. So, as you all know, we obviously just had our 100th episode. Shameless plug, don't forget to hey. enter our giveaway. And if you had listened to that, you would know that I sneak peeked for you our case for this week and next week and probably the week after. You little sneaky bitch. Theodore Bundy. Theodore, come on now. Teddy Teddy boy knees of steel Bundy, if you will. Teddy, Theo. Bud. Come knees. on, bud. K-O-S, P-O-S. It's all in there. He sucks. <laughs> knees of steel piece of shit. Yep. <laughs> K-O-S, P-O-S. All right. I like it. Well, uh, we'll probably get into it pretty quick because, well, there's just so much fucking information. And honestly, like, I've been living this for the last month and a half. I swear. That's probably accurate. Um, And I just solely don't even have enough time to say all the things I think are pertinent to this. And I'm already pretty sure it's going to be three parts. So, Well, then let's jump into it because I want to hear every little thing always. All of that to say. Hi, hello, and welcome to your favorite true crime podcast. Skipper, stop skipping. Guys, it's about time for true crime. <laughs> yeah, it is. Hell yeah. The podcast where we take you through true crime cases with degrees, dry humor, and a hefty serving of empathy. This week, we are diving into one of the most infamous serial killers of all time, Teddy Boy. Before we get into that, though, I have a few admin updates for you all. First of all, we got our Spotify wrapped. Heyo. Hey. Pew, 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 pew. Uh, we've grown almost 800% in terms of listeners, you guys. That's amazing. That is incredible. Thank you all so much. We are just so grateful for each and every one of you. We're booping your little noses. Yeah. Giving all your little noses consensual kisses and all of your pets little loves. Yeah. Ugh. As my cat nearly walks on Abby's laptop. Oh, Ollie's looking at the DSM-5. Good job. Oliver says, I want to read. I want to armchair psychology. He said, I heard oldest sister was added. <laughs> <laughs> that was a reductorist post. They're amazing, by the way. Great Instagram. <laughs> it is pretty funny. But, <laughs> so that's amazing. I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. And similarly to, of course, remind you all to rate, review, subscribe. We are so appreciative for every single one of them. And if our gratitude isn't enough, how about a giveaway? Because I know that's all you got to do to get into it. You if you have an Instagram, follow our Instagram, share the post that we made. You'll get extra entries for extra shares. And otherwise, just show us a little screenshot or a little snippet of your rate and review. Also, just if you could screenshot us and uh, DM if you post it on your story because sometimes it doesn't show us if you're private. Yeah, that's true. But then true. we can still just sort of post the picture that you did. I had a few people do that. Okay. Yeah, so that's a good idea. And same if like, if you don't have Instagram, you can just, you know, print page, make a PDF of whatever your screenshot is and email it. That's fine. Like, we're not requiring you get social media to partake. <laughs> oh, no. But just, you know, rate, review where you listen. and Yeah. And you can do it anywhere. There's no rules. It doesn't have to be Apple, not Spotify. It could be anywhere. Oh, my God. It could be bonus points if you do it on both, though. Oh, I'm just saying. Just I don't know. But we are very excited because we've been putting together little care packages for you winners. We are so excited for that. And it'll be really cute. So... Hopefully that is enough of an incentive to get all over it. But now we're really going to get into it because 
I'm fucking pumped. I'm All right. so excited. I don't think you can be more pumped than I am because I know how like balls to the wall you go on these. Yeah. Everything. She has been living and breathing Theodore for weeks. So I just I know what you have in store is so good. And I that's it. I'm just like, tell me everything. Give it. Give me give me your all. I am going to start off the bat, if you will. With all of the fucking trigger warnings and disclaimers I possibly can, so bear with me because this might take a few minutes, but oh, it's God. worth it, okay? Um, for trigger warnings, um, yeah, all of them. I don't know what to tell you. There's Select all. literally child issues, there's sodomy, there's rape, there's kidnapping, there's murder, there's necrophilia, there's like uh, fucking sociopathy. Like there's everything. Violence, abuse. Yes. Is there arson? Um, no. Okay, there then. Is animal abuse. Well, god damn it. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's just worse. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so, oh. Um, but all of that to say, to combat the limited description space we have, I want to make note that down below in every episode in this series, there's just going to be a linked resource page. It'll go to a Google Doc. It'll show you everything I used. But uh, for your peace of mind, to remind you that I've done a dumb amount of research, I'll name a few of my sources. I read, and by read, I mean audiobook read, listened to, and rules the stranger beside me. I watched Amazon Prime series Ted Bundy falling for a serial killer. I listened to multiple podcast takes on Teddy Boy, including Morbid, the casual criminalist and last podcast on the left. And lastly, I was even able to use files from the FBI vault. And of course, as many fucking news sources as possible. Oh, yeah. That's where the uh, Google Doc comes in. <laughs> yes. Uh-huh. Um, I think I'm up to two pages of just resources. I love it. That's where we're at. You were such a good student, weren't you? Um, Yes, I was. Thank you. <laughs> did I get an award for being the best CJ student? Yes, I did. So did I. <laughs> Who's surprised? <laughs> Not me. <laughs> me either. <laughs> So lastly, before we jump into it, my disclaimers, this is horrible, terrible, bad. It's going to hurt. Episode one is a little bit better, but I'm telling you two and three are like rip your face out of your face, stump on it, spit on it, make you want to throw up and die bad. It's not good. You've sold it to me. Um, I have literally curled over crying from the pang in my stomach that it gives you. Um. And I'm going to give that to you. It's a gift, if you will. Aw. Part like of a it. traveling fruitcake, you know, yeah. that little story. Aw, cute. It goes around, no one wants it, and it keeps going and going and going. <laughs> Until it's eight years old. Until there's 888% more people hearing it Aww, <laughs> than ever guys. before, you guys. You shouldn't have. Someone's got to like fruitcake. Come on. <laughs> um. Really, you shouldn't have. <laughs> <laughs> but... Part of the hurt that I am trying to get through is purposeful, okay? Some of it really is just part of the nature of this man's actions, but the part that is purposeful is on behalf of the 38 confirmed and potential 100 or more unknown victims that have lost their lives from this man. And the countless secondary victims from these actions deserve just as much shout out as those who were killed because, man, they had to live through all of it and we'll get We'll get to it. It's rough. There's a lot. So please just, you know, proceed with caution. If you need to skip parts or skip through some episodes, 
you know, we're fine with it. Take care of you, boo. We need the ATFTC fam to be healthy and happy. So do what you got to do. But I'm tired of this man being sensationalized in a way that glazes over what he did and to who. I cannot promise enough time to talk about the victims to the length, depth, or accuracy that I'd like to. If I had it my way, each individual victim would have a full episode. But unfortunately, I will give you and I will give the victims as much respect and time as I possibly can. As a reminder, we always have mental health resources, crisis numbers, supports, and links on our Instagram, which will always be down below in the notes in our link tree. So you can find us there. And lastly, we're starting with psychology, okay? I know I said this would take a few minutes and I was right. But in order to understand Ted Bundy, we have to understand Ted Bundy's mind, which I don't think even he did, but we'll do our best. So we're going to start there first because we do kind of have to tackle that to look at everything through the same lens he is. And, you know, I am not a lawyer. I cannot give you legal advice. I'm not a practicing psychologist. I don't have the letters behind my name that would let me diagnose someone or see someone for therapy. I'm good with SUD. And other than that, I really have no credentialing in this field. So please keep in mind all of those things. I do, however, have a bachelor's degree in both criminal justice and psychology and a master's in CJ. So I think we're doing okay. But I don't want to confuse anyone here. I'm not I'm not a therapist. That ain't it. <laughs> I mean, therapy is it, but like I they're too good for me. I couldn't do that. So, <laughs> all right. I'm really excited to talk about Psych Corner because I think there's this whole notion of Ted Bundy that he's like this handsome chameleon with a devil inside of him who could rip to shreds anyone, but you you'd never know until he was doing it. Yep. And I don't think that's true. Okay. But I think we have to look at the psych first to see that. I don't think that he was ever truly as fit in as he and everybody close to him claims that he was. And I, you know, we'll get to a lot of it. I'm going to hypothesize a lot of this is based on attachment theory, and we'll talk about that throughout. But we'll get Ted first. We'll talk a little bit about attachment theory. And then we're going to get through Ted's like childhood, early life into college where he meets the woman who um, inspires his victim type. Is the rubric. Yeah. 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 So we definitely have a lot to cover today. But bear with me while we start with psych because I know it's not like, all right, right into Ted Bundy. Here's his first middle name. All of that. You know. I appreciate the other view of it. So I'm going to format these episodes a little bit weird. Um, Part of my personal frustration and admittedly part of my fascination as well is how sensationalized this man is. He like people know Ted Bundy. You can say the name Ted Bundy and people know who it is. And there's fascination. There's intrigue. He was a man of mystery. Like, I think people forget the fact that he like brutally murdered and raped women. Mm-hmm. And look, yeah, he was good looking enough to the point where his face is symmetrical. He's going to get away with shit. Okay. He just is. But like, we should not be letting it get away this far. Like, <laughs> this isn't okay. There are 
potentially like hundreds of victims. But like he's yeah. got good eyebrows. I don't think anybody's ever said he has good eyebrows. It's good everything else. No, he doesn't have good eyebrows. <laughs> Actually, his eyebrows remind me of that seal from Finding Dory. Um, oh. <laughs> well. I'm not wrong. No. No. <laughs> but, okay. I do want to get into the diagnostics because, again, Ted Bundy was diagnosed as a living being, but there have also been psychologists that go back in retrospect and looked at his profile to see if anything else made sense after we reworked, reworked the DSM-5. So that's the Diagnostic Statistical Manual. It's like all of the mental health Bible shit. Gives Pretty you much. stats, symptoms, info on like every mental illness you can be diagnosed with through the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association. I am not a licensed therapist, so what I am using to talk about his diagnoses is actually a study where I believe it was like 78 other psychologists went through and did a profile on Bundy. So we'll talk about this later in the series. Like at the very end, I'm going to try to remember to mention the DID issue, but for now, we're going to stick with what most people agree he has. So I'd like to start with antisocial personality disorder, because obviously to me, that is the foundation for killers. This the diagnosis that people get when we talk about psychopaths or sociopaths like this is the clinical term for that. And so we've talked before on ATFTC about antisocial PD, but this is the mental illness that pop cultures like sociopaths and psychopaths fall into. The DSM-5 defines it as an individual must show a continuing pattern of disregard and violation of the rights of others occurring since age 15 and three or more of the following. Failure to conform to laws and social norms, so repeatedly breaking laws. Deceitfulness, as in repeated lying or conning others for profit or pleasure. Impulsivity or failure to plan ahead. Irritability and aggressiveness. Reckless disregard for safety of self or others. Consistent irresponsibility, lack of remorse. And in addition, the individual must be at least 18 years old and there must be obviously um, nothing else that would contribute to those behaviors. And lastly, for this specific diagnosis, there has to be evidence of conduct disorder before the age of 15. And we're not going to get into it, but basically it's just saying there are like bright red warning flags that should have been noticed even as a child. So it's not that a kid was happy, healthy, pro-social, and then on his 15th birthday started like breaking into cars and hurting right. animals and starting they'd fires. Be like, and- okay, kiddo, um, puberty much? Knock it off. Right. Now, if you're doing that since the age of eight, they're probably going to be like, hey, buddy, put down the cat. You know? Yeah. Not fun. So... I do also just want to mention it's fucking rare, you guys. I know we talk about this stuff a lot, but it is estimated to affect between 0.6% and 3.6% of adults. That is not a lot of people. No. And I think this makes sense. Maybe it just makes sense to me because I learned it for so long, but it is more frequent in men than in women. Yes. Then we're also going to talk about narcissistic personality disorder. So Ted was diagnosed, I believe, in his life, but also certainly after death with NPD. And I think this is like the main lens of Ted. 
Teddy Boy mm-hmm. is the NPD. And then like the foundation behind that is antisocial. So his priority is himself. And when that doesn't work out, he still doesn't care about other people is what I'm trying to so get then, at. So it's either himself or nothing. Correct. All right. So narcissistic personality disorder is a fascinating mix of like both self-grandiosity and withering self-esteem. And essentially, so the DSM-5 categorizes narcissistic personality disorder with the following symptoms. To be diagnosed, you need a pervasive pattern of grandiosity in fantasy or behavior, need for admiration, a lack of empathy beginning in early adulthood and present with a variety of contexts as indicated by five or more of the following symptoms. Has a grandiose sense of self-importance is preoccupied with fascinations of unlimited success, power, brilliance, beauty, or ideal love, believes that he or she is quote-unquote special and unique and can only be understood or should associate with other special or high-status people. What a dick. (laughs) Oh, sorry, requires excessive admiration, has a sense of entitlement, is interpersonally exploitative as in takes advantage of others (laughs) the last three sound like your cat (laughs) oh he is no he wants to be like a a cat dictator (laughs) (laughs) i love it okay keep going lack of empathy is unwilling to recognize or identify with feelings and needs of others is often envious of others or believes they are envious of him or her and shows arrogant haughty behaviors and attitudes Sounds like a peach, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like this is a difficult diagnosis for a lot of people, um, primarily because from the way I understand it and I don't have it. So if you do chip in, like I want to hear about the experience. But from what I understand, having like read all of this and knowing different people with this, it seems like the issue really stems from like this self ingrandized delusion right and not delusion is in like nobody is ever special it's not that it's just to a degree that is unsustainable and unrealistic and so your self-worth kind of withers with that because nobody can live up to being a god 25 8 that's just not true so then it becomes this coin of like intense deep dark self-loathing and hatred and also like the weirdest contrast of entitlement and self-righteousness and grandiosity because, well, that's what you think you are. And then you click back into reality and your world shatters again. So it's a very weird back and forth. It's very hard to keep relationships that are stable and healthy when people have NPD, but it's also frequently mixed with other personality disorders. I mean, just reading that, it sounded like antisocial personality disorder. It was like, doesn't care about others, cares about themselves. Right. So a lot of them overlap, but it's also often overlapped with bipolar too, which mm-hmm. I am not convinced Ted Bundy had bipolar, but over half of those 73 or 78 psychologists were. Okay. They believed he did. So just for the sake of explaining what that might look like, um, Bipolar disorder is a category that includes three different conditions. There's bipolar one, bipolar two, and cyclothemic disorder. Basically, all of these are categorized by different levels of 
fluctuating between depressive and manic states. Depression, I think most of us know, but in case you don't, it's low attitude, low mood, low affect, low energy, kind of apathy, hollowness, that kind of depth of despair. And then manic episodes are like you have a ton of energy, you're super productive. Some people are hypersexual. Some people shop all the time when they're manic. Some people don't sleep at all because they're just like, oh, I'm so ready. Let's go. And what's fascinating to me as a quick side note here is that some people don't get their bipolar treated because they love the feeling of mania and those manic episodes. So I think that's interesting because obviously to me, it sounds like there's a benefit to that, even if it isn't a sustainable burst of energy, right? Right. So it's it's a very interesting one. I don't really see it in Ted, but, you know, again, I'm not credentialed. So what do I know? For the TLDR, though, that's what it is. It's a cycle. They go from super manic to super depressed. Bipolar 2, I believe that range is a little less. So the manic episodes might not be as long or as intense. And same with the depressed, same with the depressive ones. And cyclothemic is a little bit weirder because the manic episodes aren't as grand, but the depressive episodes are like huge. So you go through like little bursts of mania and then like super long deep depression yeah which just sucks i empathize so much and just to clarify a lot of people i think will like describe somebody that they know as bipolar like oh he's mad really quickly and then he's not really quickly right. and then he's mad really fast and i say he but he or she whoever fill it in um but that's not bipolar it's not like this it's not typically angry bursts which i think right. a lot of people are like oh bipolar bi too meaning happy and sad right. um, or happy and angry. And it's not happy and angry. It's right. so much more complex than that. And it's also a lot longer than I feel like a lot of people think it is. So for example, you know, Allie was talking about like someone blows up and they're like, oh my gosh, she's bipolar. A true bipolar episode is not going to be like flipping a switch within 20 minutes. It's going to be like, I'm super manic for a few days at least. I'm going to be depressed for a few days, at least. So it's not instantaneous. It's not something you can go through like 18 different times in one day. If it is, I would talk to a therapist, but my man, I don't think that's bipolar. So (laughs) Um, (laughs) the last thing I want to talk about before we get deep, deep into this is attachment theory. And this I'm going to try to go quickly because I want to talk about it right now. So that we have this as context for later, because I truly believe that Ted Bundy was fine. I think he was mediocre at fitting in. I think he was fine at social context. I think he masked a lot. And as like a neurodivergent person, that was really hard for me to like kind of recognize in him is sometimes you just pick up on the way that other people talk. Like if you've met with Someone who gets along with everyone, like they're friends with a billion different people and you can't fucking figure it out because you're like, what in the hell? But you see them in every context and they're a little bit, they're themselves, but they're a little bit different in every context for their audience. And it's like a step further than that. It's like you kind of unintentionally mimic other people. You sort of unintentionally do what you need to do to fit right in. And part of that survivalism, part of that is like a very animal brain species thing. But a lot of times it can also 
then be used very intentionally once you recognize that you can do it and that you are doing it. My take is that he was not good at this and then he learned and then he recognized that he learned and he manipulated that. Knowledge is power. And attachment theory basically is in reference to how you connect with other people. So like in all things psych, it uh, usually begins with your parents, you know. (laughs) Always start with the parents. Uh, Simply psychology describes it like this. Attachment theory hypothesizes that early caregiver relationships establish social emotional development foundations, but change remains possible across lifespan. Duh. So basically, without getting into the nitty gritty, it says that like the way your parents treated you as an infant and the way they responded to your needs and security is going to mirror in your relationship with other people. And here's my thought, because I think that a lot of the people that claimed after he was recently executed, which spoiler alert, he does die. I think those people had very anxious attachment styles. But I'm really excited to talk about the early childhood and really get into the nitty gritty of Theodore Teddy, Knees of Steel Bundy. I love it. Was that all in her birth certificate? Or? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. No, it was actually um, Theodore Teddy, K-O-S, P-O-S, Cowell, Bundy, K-O. The third. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So we're going to take it all the way back to November of 1946. All right. When fresh little baby Ted saw the first light of his life. Oh. Oh. Ted would have been born in Vermont at a home where pregnant teenagers were sent to hide their pregnancy and deliver babies before going back home. Okay, New England. Okay, New England. Represent. Okay, the 40s. All right. Um, <laughs> pregnant teen uh, summer camp. Hell yeah. All right. See, Ted's arrangement with his family was a strange one. Not like he had much of a choice, of course. Ted's grandparents told everyone that they were his parents and they adopted Ted like their own. And Ted believed that his mother was his sister, or that's what they told him. So he was raised alongside his the woman who gave birth to him. Correct. Believing that he she, was the little, her little brother. Yes. Okay. And later, Ted goes back to say, I mean, he does find out eventually. Um, and frankly, like... There are a bunch of differing reports on how he finds out some... People say that it was when he went and tracked down his birth certificate. There's stories that his cousins showed him. There's stories that like his mom told him. So there's plenty of different ways. But he also says that like when your sister is 20 years older than you are and then she is the one that takes care of you. He was like, I just kind of assumed at some point. <laughs> hmm. So worth noting, I, it does not seem like this really shook his fucking world. But... I know the 40s weren't a particularly accepting time for pregnant teenagers. Sex out of marriage was considered promiscuous and scandalous, and it was common that women would be sent away to these homes while they were pregnant and during childbirth. But even once Louise, Ted's mom, came back home, he still had no idea what the truth was until his late 20s when it was confirmed. So even if he suspected, he didn't know. Mm Mm-hmm. And now Ted was no more than five, just a wee little lad, when his sister, mom, Louise, actually took him away from his grandparents' home. But I want to talk about these first five 
or so years because they're telling. So they are from Pennsylvania. Louise went to Vermont for that home and came back to Pennsylvania. And then a few years later, Ted's like no more than five. She moves to Washington with him. Washington State. Yes. Okay. Um, and now while they're there, Louise meets, oh, just the sweetest little boy. Um, not little boy. That was weird. His name is Johnny Bundy. He becomes her husband. He's a military line cook or maybe an army line cook, but he works for the forces. He's just in a kitchen and he was a sweet guy. He really liked Louise. He adopted Ted as his own when they moved. I believe they like met long distance somehow or maybe met on a trip and she moved out because he had adopted Ted before she moved. Okay, so they definitely were together before that. Yeah, and that also made Ted's last name Bundy. It was originally Cowell. Could you imagine being this man? You meet this woman, you fall in love with her. She's got a cute kid. He's uh-huh. a good kid. He's young. He doesn't have a father figure. You step in, you adopt him as you as your own. You step up, you do all the things you're supposed to do. He takes your last name and then he defiles it. Yep. <laughs> oh my god. I'd be pissed. I'd be so pissed. Oh. <laughs> but no good deed. <laughs> Johnny Bundy, I mean, him and Ted didn't really get along. Okay. I mean, Johnny Bundy did not seem violent. Now, we'll talk about Ted's grandpa in a moment. Okay. But Johnny Bundy did not seem violent. It was said that, like, I don't even think he yelled at him unless Ted provoked him. And Ted would provoke. But, like, what teenager child doesn't yeah you know so i don't really take a lot of that as a red flag Mm -hmm. what i do find interesting with ted though is that he seemed really ashamed of johnny why because he was just like a line cook and he wasn't something better or bigger or richer okay or more well off Um, and that's providing for you when working hard okay it's obviously a character flaw for teddy boy what a dick so um Yeah, he says that he used to daydream when he was watching like westerns that one of the old western stars would like kick down the door and be like, I'm your dad, Ted. Let's go. Aww. Kind of, but like, even as a kid, I want to flick him. I'm like, the guy's like, he loves you. He's spending time with you. Oh, I know. He's making money for you. You're eight. What the fuck do you want? Like, (laughs) a race car? (laughs) Anyway. So Ted was always quite materialistic and he really wanted to be bigger than life and resented any indication that he wasn't. So he's been reported to care about his image, his reputation, his looks, his wardrobe ever since he was a child, child. And Ted always considered himself more of a cowl than a Bundy. He looked like his mom. He idolized his grandfather, Sam. I do want to add here a little bit about Ted's grandparents. Okay, let's His hear it. OG mommy and daddy, if mm-hmm. you will. Not really their OG, though. Um, Ted's grandfather, Samuel Cowell, it's believed that he was sure fucking abusive. Eek. Yeah, there are rumors, unverified rumors, that Ted's dad is really his grandfather. No. And he was a child of like incestual rape? No. Yes. No. Yep, because I Louise refuse. Louise his mom 
said and maintains that she was knocked up by a soldier who then abandoned her. Mm. There is no okay. name on any birth certificate. I don't know if any DNA testing was done. But he doesn't. What I know of Samuel Cowell wouldn't make me think that he would never do that. Okay. So just as a heads up, we don't know, but we don't know. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, we don't have confirmation either way. Right. So Ted loved his grandfather, though. And oh, my gosh, Samuel Cowell was known to like spin cats around his head he has like spin cats yes like 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 by the tail like i always imagine by the little legs but probably by the tail oh i want to kill him yeah no he sucks too like give give him the chair nut tree you know i am (laughs) spoiler fry that one too (laughs) (laughs) damn it also there is like an account at least one of ted's aunt who lived with them at the time his real aunt? Yes. So Louise's sister. Yeah. Being thrown down the stairs. Oh, shit. For like waking up too late or something. Oh, my God. I would have been thrown down the stairs every day. I'd be dead. <laughs> I still get up late. I'd still be dead. <laughs> I still can't get up from my alarm. Sam, my, my Sam, had to call me this morning to wake me up. They were like, hey, you, um, you going to work? You up? <laughs> My fiance has to use our Alexa <laughs> to turn on music really loud. Oh, yeah. Because calling me doesn't work. <laughs> yep. Same. For the most part. But anyway, so the other thing worth noting here is that Ted's grandmother was incredibly depressed, like clinically, chronically, unendingly depressed to the point where in the 40s, she was actively involved in shock therapy as a, latch, a last ditch effort to try. Hmm. At the time, shock therapy was novel and risky and really only used as a last resort. So I can't imagine that they had her doing this because her first dose of Lexapro wasn't right. Right. You know, so between significant mental health and violence, obviously, I think Ted's grandparents could have used some therapy. No doubt. You will. But moving forward again to like ted five or so once he moved out into washington with louise and johnny bundy then johnny would give the punishment even though louise was always the one who determined that punishment okay so for ted as a kid all grown men just beat the shit out of you that's what they do right that's sad it is but it it kind of is the only thing that makes me understand at all where his like brain works where I'm like, okay, if that's really all you think that men do. It's weird that he idolized his grandfather who did that, but despised the man who stepped in. Well, my personal take on it is that he idolized his grandfather because that meant he had an idyllic childhood. I don't think he really cared that it was his grandfather. I think he wanted everyone to believe that he was perfect and came from a perfect house. Uh, and so, you know, as a kid, this is my dad, quote right. unquote, maybe even not quote unquote. And like, this is what he does. He's so cool. And then the dominoes all fall because he finds out that sister is his mom. Right. Is mom is really dad. Sister. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have, I don't know who my dad is. 
Yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot of setup here. And Ted as a kid was very interesting. Sometimes he called Louis's mom other times by her name. But it makes sense because he fucking thought she was his sister. Yeah. So you were, yeah. I don't believe she ever confirmed to him that she was his mom. But Ted did learn the truth in his adolescence. Again, either those cousins came out and told him or he had assumed or, you know, fuck it. Like he just went and saw his birth certificate in his 20s. So somewhere along the line, he found out. But in middle school, Ted was a little more picked on. Um, Ted had a paper route and he was a Boy Scout and he couldn't keep up with the Boy Scouts, which is a different kind of ostracized, I think. Was he molested as a kid? No, because he was a, had a paper route and was a Boy Scout. Well, let in me put it this 40s, way: in the forties, fifties, sixties. Not that he said, okay. but he wouldn't admit anything that wasn't. Um, I- the next Kennedy, right? Yeah, which jokes on him. You think the Kennedy family? Literally, I was just about to say. I'm not sure that that was the best example, but you know, <laughs> he wanted to be a fucking sweetheart. It just makes me. Th- and he would lie and kill and rape whoever he needed to for people to think he was a freaking sweetheart. I'm a fucking delight. Damn it. <laughs> so not that I know of. I don't I don't think he was. But, okay. Um, he was teased. He would shower in private in the gym rather than like the open showers with all the other boys. I don't judge him at all for that. No, same. Um, I fucking hated the locker rooms. So <laughs> you can either choose to look at schlong or not look at schlong you might choose to not look at schlong exactly especially if it's like freaking everyone you're in math class with and you're like you smell nasty and so take your own shower mm -hmm, mm -hmm. okay i don't care that you see saw Gemma b's like butt the other day Mm -hmm. okay bye okay anyway (laughs) he was teased about the eyebrows wasn't he oh certainly Mm -hmm. it was also scrawny as a kid he was a little weird Ted joined the track team and he did great with low hurdles, but that was it. He had good grades, but he never made the top of the class. But then one day, Louise sat him down and was like, Ted, you're something special. You're amazing. She gave him a complex. You're college material. Okay. Which, to be fair, in like the 40s, 50s, that's a vote of confidence. Not everybody was going. So it did set ted up for his college years he's like fuck it i'm not going to war yeah i'm going to school i gotta learn um so at like 13 to 14 ted started saving for college which to be fair is how he literally got into a bunch and went for a long time i mean granted this idea that everything had to be perfect in his eyes he doesn't sound like a bad kid or anything atypical it probably wasn't uncommon for if there was a birth out of wedlock that families would have like a story that they all agreed on that this right. was the outward, you know, perception that they wanted to set. I'm sure his grandfather was probably not ideal and grandma was depressed a lot, but he got moved away. He had a, a father figure that actually gave a shit. Yeah. Johnny but, used to go on his paper routes with him. It just... If he's going to, not that he is pointing, but if other people are pointing to his childhood being such that it shaped him and molded him in this way, it just seems. Yeah. Some of that was already within. Some of it, certainly. But I do want to talk about some of the incidents that happened in his childhood, because some of them did. 
fill me in because so far this doesn't sound that bad. Well, and I'll tell you, like, the incidents, there's, to my knowledge, nothing that shaped them. There was no monster at home under his bed waiting to, like, show him what he would do to someone else. It all came from him. Which is more haunting, I feel. It is. And I'll also throw in an asterisk here, right? So if Ted was abused, which a lot of psychologists who look at what he's done say there's a great likelihood. Like statistically, it's improbable that he wasn't. And do you mean sexually abused? Any kind. Okay. Horrific abuse of either violent or sexual nature. Okay. Like bad. Because of what they've seen with stats and other violent offenders, right? Right. So it is possible your brain does protect you in many ways. If that happened and it was truly horrendous, he might not remember it, especially if it was at the hands of his grandfather when he was very young. That's more than possible. A lot of people have childhood amnesia anyway, let alone add in like a heaping load of trauma. But there is nothing confirmed which to me is more frustrating because it's like, come on, after all of that, like if somebody knows, just fucking say it. And like someone in that family knows. Yeah. You know, so if not, and my fingers are crossed that nobody said anything because it didn't happen, then I feel awful that all of these people get looked at Mm -hmm. because it was a Ted issue. If it was an abuse issue, someone needs to fucking look at that. (laughs) Yep. But we're kind of a little too little too late right now. We're a little late to the party for that. Right. So really quick, I'm going to get through high school, but I'm just going to fill you in in a minute on all of the interesting things that happened that weren't necessarily dramatic, traumatic, just happened. All right. So in high school, Ted did get a little bit more popular. He began to grow into himself and he got a little more handsome. Ted graduated with 740 people at Woodrow Wilson High School. And Ted was described as well-known, active, well-dressed, exceptionally well-mannered, and that he seemed quiet and shy. Mm, I wonder what superlative he got. Right? (laughs) Most likely to be a dick. Jim and Kent, both friends of him as kids. Mm. Why I know their names, I don't know. I don't know which source this came from, but you can look through the two pages. It's there. Um, They were all friends, and it's really cute. They're the only ones that I could tell were, like, actually his friends growing up. And they're all little nerds, you know, both of them were interested in student council and politics, and they were Ted's best friends growing up. At graduation in 1965, Ted was even given a scholarship to a local college. So even though he sounds like a nice young man, I will say there are plenty, plenty of classmates and neighborhood kids who have no problem reporting that he was weird and that... (laughs) It was easy to tell the haves from the have-nots, and Ted's family, unfortunately, was in the have-nots. So I feel for him there, but there are some negative things that he did. There are like a few of note, and not anything huge, not anything like terrifying, but the first was when he was incredibly young, still living with his grandparents young. He put knives all around his aunt's bed. Okay. And he was just sitting and laughing. Like when she woke up, he was on her bed holding one of the knives and just sitting and laughing. And like, that's creepy. And I go back and forth, right? I'm like, it's a three-year-old. Should we really be taking this too seriously? And then I'm like, it's Ted Bundy. We should probably be looking at it. So (laughs) that did happen. He didn't hurt her. He didn't do anything to her, but he did set up all of these 
weapons around someone that he loved and laughed about it as an infant my parents used Toddler. to have to put pillows around my bed that but that was because i used to like literally roll off the bed <laughs> and hit the ground and i wouldn't wake up so i would just wake up on the floor the next oh. day <laughs> like you'd hear a thud and it'd be like okay that's her <laughs> but i had little pillows so i wouldn't get hurt oh man <laughs> it was bad but yeah not knives thank god plus up Ted Bundy was in the house. I might not be here. TB. No, that's true. Actually, um, I mean, for several you reasons. You certainly wouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't part my hair down the middle, though. Well, you're asleep. Does he know that? But damn it, I'm brunette. Yeah. So. And cute as hail. <sighs> and bright. Which every si- fun fact, every single fucking one of his victims was from a loving family and was very smart. Damn it. Isn't that stupid? Never light up a room. Never. Told you. You shut that room down. You walk in, have like, people sad. Like, is it cold in here now? Like, Damn. Ooh, ooh, a chill pass. It's frosty. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's also confirmed that Ted, as a kid, had sticky little klepto fingers. He ooh. really liked to steal. Ted. And he really liked having stolen things. Teddy. Um, it wasn't for him about a watch. It was for him about going out and taking his watch. And now it's my watch. But he couldn't give a fuck what watch it was. He couldn't give a fuck about what he was stealing. He gave a fuck about the fact that he was stealing. You know? Yeah. It wasn't about having, oh, I want that thing. It's that that thing is now mine because I took it. Right. And it's the power of having and that it's thing. Like, Whew, I can do whatever I want. Yeah, you know, it's a little power surge. Almost like <clears throat> power and control. You'd think, right? <laughs> but okay, exactly. Ted wasn't an angel. He had a long list of thefts in his juvenile record that were rightfully sealed when he turned 18. Um, Ted loved petty theft. I think it was honestly his first love. I think he thinks that was Diane Edwards, and we'll get to her in a second. But um, Sticky Fingers Knees of Steel was just getting started. S-F-K-O-S-P-O-S. F-U. Yeah. L-M-N-O-P. Um. Sing it with me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> but it is theorized that he likely started killing and assaulting and violating people far before his first confirmed case in 1974. I believe that. Matt DeLisi is a criminologist in Iowa, and he's got like a doctorate degree in sociology. And the reason that I bring him up is because he has published several articles that essentially share exactly what I think, which is there's no fucking way Ted Bundy started in 1974. God, no. There is no way. Not only the confidence that he had, but the timeline between the murders, the lack of true escalation after he started that we have confirmed well, to and, me says there had to have been something in 1974 would have put him in his 30s and statistically we know he would have started a lot earlier than that right and not just that but if you guys remember like jer bear brutos who we just did before 100 there was escalation right there was theft turned into like breaking into a house turned into like sexual harassment into sexual assault into rape into murder and then rape so like not everyone is going to have all of those steps as specific steps, but it is frequent that you see after someone get away with something, they get a little more confident and they say, "Ooh, that was easy. I could do that again. 
And then they escalate until they figure out what it really is they're chasing. And then they perfect it, right? And for Ted, Ted already seemed like he was at perfection. So to, and not like he's perfect, but he was, he had perfected his craft of killing, right. if you will. So the fact that there is no escalation, really, after we see this start, the fact that there are potential victims so much younger than when he's 28 all makes sense statistically all makes sense logically all makes sense psychologically and he's made dozens of hint drops that there have been significantly more than just the 38 he confessed to and there's a lot that he has shame over oh yeah too yeah there's not all of them but the younger ones he's mm, it does not bode well with him no and he will refuse to talk about some of them. Which is why I think that this earlier time period, he would have had access to more people his age, which would have put them a lot younger, which right. would have made that they were kids. And maybe something, maybe a first thing that someone regrets. Mm-hmm. Just thinking. I don't know. And while Ted maintained, as did many of his close friends and family, that he was a happy-go-lucky, normal young man with such a bright future, and maybe he was too smart, I don't buy that shit for a moment. Teddy Boy is delusional. He is narcissistic. He has delusions of self-grandeur. And the self-reassurance he had and the way that he would consistently insist that everything was great as a kid to me says there's something a whole lot more sinister that happened that no one's in that family is ready to admit happened. Mm-hmm. And it's hard when that happens, especially when there are multiple victims. Any house that is dealing with domestic violence, there is not one victim. Right. That's not how that works. And so I don't want it to to seem like I'm blaming somebody else who might have suffered for suffering with him. Mm-hmm. But I do think there's an element of responsibility, especially when there's a kid in the house, to watch out for them, to take care of them, and to prevent things like that from happening. And maybe that's what Louise did by taking him away to the other side of the fucking country. Yeah, can't get much further than that. No, like to me, that's as reactive, right? Mm -hmm. But all of that to say, I don't buy that it was a happy-go-lucky childhood for a moment. I really don't. There are people that report significant violence and mental health throughout his childhood and not just from his grandfather, but it doesn't really matter when it comes to the crime, right? It doesn't matter if your grandparents lied to you. They took him in. It doesn't matter if they had mental health. We all do. It does matter if they're violent. It does matter if they don't pay attention to the signs, but there were other people that let little Ted down too. Little Ted went to school. Little Ted went to the Boy Scouts where there's a troop leader, there's teachers, there's kids there's other families anybody who could have had an eye out for him and i i feel for him as a kid you feel for the kid you don't feel for the adult and admittedly knowing everything he did it's hard for me to say i feel for him as a kid but i do you don't have any control when you're eight right you know but maybe the the control issue is really what led to his control issues (laughs) you know So Ted was reported to like to scare other kids. He would make tiger traps in the woods and dig holes and put spiky sticks down there. Spike up. I hate that. And then he'd hide it. 
So there was a little girl once who went in the woods and fell into one of his tiger traps and sliced her entire leg open. Oh. I don't think he helped her out. Then there are reports of him trying to drown other kids. Oh, shit. Either whether swimming or like kayaking in a lake or whatever. Yeah. He didn't care. He just tried it. Wanted to know what would happen. There are reports of Ted Bundy ripping with his hands mice apart in the woods. Ugh. Yeah. Aww. Not good. Not it, dude. And so that under animal abuse. Power and violence and control. It's almost Mm. like he's going to be a fucking serial killer. But whatever. What do I know? See, okay. Really quick. This is like part of the reason I don't want kids. (laughs) What if they're friends with a little fucking psycho and I have to be like, listen, kid, that guy's going to murder someone one day. Like I wouldn't say that to my kid. Both of you to think it's your kid that'll be friends with it. What if it is your kid that's the psycho? Oh, my kid will be the psycho, but it not it won't harm anyone else. Okay. Just keep calling not intentionally. it calling it it and that should really yeah. really solidify that positive sense of self. It's really nurturing of me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's a good thing I'm not planning on it. So. <laughs> the other thing I wanted to mention is that Ted Bundy's former lawyer, John Brown, said that Bundy as a kid would buy mice at the local pet store and play God with which ones lived. Ugh. Which is just, you can you can feel the desperation for power and control and how that comes out through violence in him. The ironic part is, is that they probably made out better with him than somebody else because other people just buy mice to feed it to a snake. Yep, right? <laughs> they were like, at least we only got ripped in part, <laughs> like ripped in half At least this there time. was only like three of them that got killed. Oh my gosh. Sorry. Awful. But we should also remember... Back to the narcissistic personality disorder diagnostic, right? Right. Part of what you'll see with many antisocial and narcissistic individuals is the need to control the narrative. These are the kinds of people that would get divorced and refuse to let their parents see their grandkids because the parents might talk to the ex-spouse and might hear their side of the story. Or a person that texts a group, OMG, she's having such a hard time, pray for her after they hit someone with a car. But I'm the nice guy asking for prayers. This is really hard on her. Mm-hmm. Okay. You be good to her. It's yeah. like this desperate need to look like the hero, to never be wrong, to be the guy who tells everybody what to think and have them believe you. And guy, gender neutral, whatever, anyone. And that's Ted. Ted isn't a cute little guy with a terrible childhood. He had some bad genes. Who doesn't? He chose what to do with them. Mm-hmm. And if he was truly terribly assaulted, then I commend Louise Bundy for doing everything she could to get him out of that home. Yeah. That doesn't make it her fault how he chose to deal with or not deal with the shit that he had to work through. That was only his responsibility. According to biography.com, a young Bundy also began breaking the law. I found some of his like shoplifting stuff. That's all. <laughs> he basically, um, again, it's all narcissistic, right? None of this is like out of necessity. He wanted to ski, so he stole expensive skiing equipment he couldn't afford. He wanted to be good at it, so he couldn't afford to practice with a ski lift, so he'd forge his own. Um, he attempted car theft. But like, what is interesting is that there is one account and i don't know the details because it's a sealed juvenile record 
But there is an account of him becoming a quote unquote peeping Tom and some sort of like voyeurism. And that is often a precursor to like sexual violence. So I don't know all of that. But what I do know as the earliest crime and potential murder that I could find that could be connected to Ted Bundy is Anne Marie Burr. This is one of the earlier crimes that Ted is actually suspected of. I'm sure there are more. I am like personally positive that there are more than this, but this is one of the most universal, like it was probably Bundy. <laughs> okay. So Anne-Marie Burr was just eight years old mm. when she disappeared from her own house on August 31st, 1961. 1961 meant Ted was 14. From her own house, where else does a parent feel that their kid is the most safe yep. other than home? Yeah. And while Ted lived a few miles away mm. and he had a paper route mm. and his favorite uncle lived like less than a few blocks away from Anne Marie's house. Mm. So they could have met while he was like delivering a paper because there was no evidence of a struggle. The window was open. The door was open. To me, that sounds like, oh, Ted's outside. Hi, Ted. And Ted's like, come out and play. Oh, the only thing that they found at the crime scene or house was a size six shoe print. And was it me? Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, and that's it. Wow. They said that's consistent with a teenage boy. Anne Marie's body has never been found. Aww. The case is still open. And I don't know. I'm pretty convinced it was Teddy Boy. We'll see other accounts of open windows and open doors that weren't open before with no signs of struggle. Hmm. He lived nearby. She was eight. He was 14. If he gets really upset about young kids, this might be why. But what do I know? So that is the first like potential Again, it's not confirmed, but Bundy, to my knowledge, is still at the top of that suspect list. Mm -hmm. They did find an old vial of his blood and we're going to try to like DNA match some of that. But unfortunately, like DNA only lasts so long. The sample itself had started to like. Go bad, basically. Yeah. Expire, if you will. Mm -hmm. The DNA was just no longer as viable as it could have been. So they couldn't make any for sure matches. But. It's about the size he'd be if he was a teenager. And um, the perp seems like it was a teenager and she lived just a little bit away from him. So you never know. Possible. But Ted wouldn't remain a child or even a smelly adolescent forever. Eventually, he went to college. Yay. Yay. Shout out to Louise for telling him he was special. Um. And also not shout out to Louise for telling him he was special because, boy, college was his favorite place and a lot of other people's worst nightmares because he was there. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, unfortunately, he liked school, but he loved college girls. And I mean, don't get me wrong. He was still awkward. OK, the kid went on one date in high school. He had negative zero experience. I don't even think he kissed a girl Aww. when he went to college. Like, little guy. Um. So, Ted, I believe when he first went, went for politics. Yes, I'm fairly certain. The first college he went to, because he went to quite a few. 
the first college he went to was the University of Puget Sound in 1965 and 1966. The next summer, Ted transferred to the University of Washington, and there he studied Chinese because he thought if he wanted to work in politics or law, it was the language that the country he would need him to be most familiar with. Because he's a giver. He's all about service, isn't he? Sure is. (laughs) What a tick. So in the spring, though, of 1967, love was in the air. Cupid's little arrow flew right through all of the decent people on campus and hit Ted Bundy right in the arse hole. (laughs) And the first person that he saw was Diane Edwards. And it was love at first fucking sight. Her long, flowing brown hair parted in the middle. Mm. Dark eyes. She was mysterious. She had an air about her. She was rich. And she had bad taste. And bad taste. (laughs) So he used to sort of um, stalk a little. He used to like follow her around campus because he was so into her, but he was so awkward and so anxious and just like couldn't ask her out. She's so cute. And then eventually he did. (laughs) Now, he was, again, a little bit like, shy at first because again she was pretty well off and she was interested in like jocks so he would watch her sort of like go up to the footballers and like do her little hair twirl and giggle but when I think about Diane Edwards I think of this like slow-mo Farrah Fawcett hair shake and the camera focus and like zooms in on the love interest and the whole world fades away Right. Mm -hmm. And she's got like the cutest little blowout curls at the bottom of her hair. She's got this bright smile and her eyes are like glittering. Like she kind of looked like she knew something you didn't know all the time. Mm -hmm. So Ted was into it because he needed to have everything. Right. Correct. And so eventually he waits. He watches her talk to the jocks. He watches her go to school. He watches all of these things. And he's like, you know what? I finally found a common interest we have, skiing. So he takes that fancy skiing equipment he stole as a kid (laughs) Mm -hmm. that he couldn't afford, that he wanted because God forbid anybody sees Ted Bundy as less than a deity. Um, And he finally talked her into like giving him a ride because she used to ski all the time. And he was like, I don't have a car on campus, but I like really want to go. Would you be willing to give me a ride? She was like, sure. And then the two hit it off. He was so excited, though. Like, they began to spend all of their time together. He called it sublime and overpowering. Ooh. And Ted was in love. Diane and Ted actually did end up dating for some time. They were together for a little over a year. And this was through busboy jobs, clerk jobs, shelf stalker jobs. But Diane was from, like, a much more prominent family than that. And I think she had this feeling that, like, he wasn't going to provide the kind of life she wanted. Mm-hmm. But while they were in college, she was going to have fun. So they went and watched movies and they got burgers. And then when she graduated, I think she was a year older than he was. But as she got an internship and graduated and they left for the summer, she was like, well, just let it fizzle out. Not and a big deal. He, and he was like, I literally can't do that. He's like, I will literally kill you. Um, no, I'll just kill people that look like yeah, you. There we like, go. I'd, uh, I'd feel way too guilty for that. NVM actually do you have a sister. Like <laughs> seriously. So 
that was the fall of 1968. Ted went back to school and he went back without her. Oh, boo hoo. After this, Ted seemed like he plummeted into a deep depression. Hey there, genetics. <laughs> he stopped caring about his intensive Chinese classes. He stopped caring about college. He seemed to have lost interest in just about everything. And although he did still have a pretty decent footing in like the campus's Republican Party, which is wild to me, back at campus, Ted took sociology and city planning classes before just dropping out. Isn't it so fascinating when we find out that these offenders were like active in politics? And the ones that always come to mind to me are Bundy being a Republican and John Wayne Gacy being a Democrat Mm -hmm. and like actually having connections with people and that was one of the ways that they were able to fit in was like right let me go to this place where there's like-minded people and i know that you know i i can play the part here right because i know what you all think yeah and ted ted hated the liberal movement and like this is late 60s early 70s right we're thinking like vietnam we're thinking peace love hippies we're thinking long hair not washing your armpits like smoking weed on the campus you know fucking lbj protests Mm -hmm. and he was like nope oh this you need to like act like a man like you need to actually be professional you it's not free love it's not peace love happiness it's corporate america taxes baby like he was very straight edged and he was very offended by the idea that someone wasn't my personal take on that is mommy issues I also just think <laughs> that if you're if you're in the the business of masking, if you will, yes, and you are trying to adopt what those around you have, I think, and maybe that's because now we live in such a politically like polarizing climate, right? But you could walk into one of those meetings or however they gathered, and for the most part you have three to four talking points that will immediately make somebody like you. Yeah. Whether you're Gacy, you're Bundy, you're walking in there, whether you believe it or not, whether you agree with it, whether you give a shit. You regurgitate two different people's platforms and you're like the world's best thing. But that's your in. Right. When you know that you don't fit in anywhere else. Well, and I'd also venture to say, and like this is not to like shade people who are interested in politics. I think it's another like sociology gem to oh, explore. Oh, cool. No, go ahead and do that. But also, if you're a killer, it's Fuck really, you. really cool, though, to get in there and you're like, okay, I need to practice mm-hmm. being like other people and people liking me. Right. How do I do that? How, How do, do I, I do that? And there are a few other places where I feel like you could go to a gathering mm-hmm. and you would have that many people that agree on that many things in one place. Right. Good practicing ground if you're thinking of it as a psychopath. Right. Exactly. I don't know. Also, I think that this fit right in with that NPD diagnosis. He's like, ah, these are the prominent people. These are my people. Like, I can't associate with the lowlifes. I have to be with the special people. And I think, and I mean this with all due respect, like, I think that's a lot of the, like, some of the shadowy underbelly of politics is the people that actively seek out long-term power and control there's something to be looked at for someone who only wants to control things Mm -hmm. and there are lots of politicians with really great motives that's not a question in my mind at all but if you're someone who doesn't have good motives 
I also wouldn't be surprised if you want that power. Oh, it's still easy for you to get in there anyway. Right. Yeah. So during this time, Ted drops out, but he's still special. He's still above everyone else. He wouldn't do what the dirty fucking hippies would do. Okay. He starts running a campaign for a local Republican governor. Mm -hmm. He did stop caring about classes, obviously, but he was super invested. He was like a driver for this guy before the election. And then he got promoted to doing some campaign work. And then he got like a network of campaign people. So like he actually kind of got his little foot in the door here. Right. And Ted went all over with this work. He went to Philadelphia. He went to Florida to like work with campaigns with people. Mm-hmm. And eventually he goes to Vermont. And once he's there, he's like, you know what? This looks familiar. <laughs> I need to know. Like, I need to know who my my real parents are. And so he goes to Philadelphia for a campaign trail and he realizes that his birth certificate isn't there. So he has to go back to Vermont. Oh. And he finds out, of course, that Louise was his mother and there was no one under their father's name on his birth certificate. And he had an identity crisis. Mm-hmm. And to be fair, some of his friends said that he took this really hard. Like a lot of people were like, well, it's not like they abandoned you. It's not like people gave you up. Like she was your mom and she bent over backwards to keep you. And his response would be like, well, you're not the bastard. And it's like, okay, guy, go to therapy. Mm, Sorry that you hate women. Um, (laughs) The father listed... um, Louise said was an Air Force veteran born in 1916 that abandoned her when he found out that she was knocked up. And this uh, upset Ted a lot. Mm. Ted continued to write to Diane, despite the fact that she didn't usually reply. Oh. Um, as he headed back to the West Coast, he continued fantasizing about getting back together with her. Even though she had let it go now and it's been yeah. months because. Uh, yeah, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Months to a year. Okay. In 1969, so a year after they broke up, um, Diane walked out of her building in San Francisco only to jump out of her motherfucking skin when two hands were placed on her shoulder and it was Ted Bundy. Oh. Um, she was fine seeing him, but she didn't like want to see him. Right. You know? So that was kind of awkward. And she had no desire to run into his arms and like jump up and down and twirl around in a circle and suck his dick the way he wanted. Yeah, she did not live up to his expectation on that. No. And you know what? He's better than everyone else. So why wouldn't she? Right. Yeah. Fuck you, lady. <laughs> Damn it, Diane. So they talked and she sent him away. And Diane never expected to see Ted again. Except on the news. Ayo. And Rule says that the carnage between learning the truth about his family roots and the rejection from Diane, quote unquote, didn't bury Ted Bundy. Sorry, Anne, but I'll say it did. (laughs) For a man who spiraled, dropped out of class, found out he was illegitimate and then spiraled further. I'm pretty sure that this wasn't like the best day in his life. And I don't think that's what she meant. But like, He's kind of like, you can't, you can try to bury me, but I'm a damn seed, except like instead of an actual seed, he's a fucking weed. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And he'll just take over and kill everything else that's natural and good about the area. But you tried to bury me, damn it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, 
he got himself together. He gave himself a little slap pep talk in the mirror and he was like, Ted, you can't keep doing this. You got knees of steel, man. You got knees of steel. You got a heart of gold and damn it, you're getting Diane back. So what's he doing? He's going to work on himself. I kind of, I like the idea of wanting yeah. to uh, move forward. If So yeah, I love the idea of it. The problem is he like didn't actually look inward. He looked inward materialistically so outward <laughs> oh. um and he's he like you like, know what you know what'll make me feel better a volkswagen bug i feel like that'll like just sexiest little tan color i think that this will make, i think this will change my life <laughs> i do i think it'll just i think it'll fix everything so ted decided right then and there he would change and he would be the man that diane wanted to see and he would be the man that other men wanted to be oh okay ted went back to college this time he went for psychology. All right. Uh, he uh, started to live with a woman named Frida Rogers and her husband. He lived there for like five years. And allegedly he became like a son to them. Like he so they're like an, old, like an older couple yeah. who took him in. And he, what, How old is he at this point? He is in school. Let's see. Maybe it in is, his 20s. Yeah. 68, 69. So 23, 24 at max 25. Which is, you know, college age, and especially if you take into consideration the time that he took off. But he was like, okay, I'm going to do it. And actually kind of cute. The only thing that I think is cute is that he kept up the garden for this family. So he did a bunch of gardening work for these this cute little old couple that let him live there. And apparently he did a great job. Like, he never let the chores go undone. So good for him. But if you met a guy just... You're out. It's 1969. You're cruising. You got a cute little outfit on. Mm-hmm. I love the fashion. Anyway, um, and you meet this guy. He's a grad student at yeah. this point. Uh, he might still technically be in a in his undergrad. He's putting. He's in school. Yep, but he's he's not living the campus lifestyle, if you will, where he's like partying every night and things like that. So maybe maybe you look at that as mature, right? And he's with this older couple who view him like a son and how sweet that That's is. so sweet. And he gardens And he them. does the chores around the house and he helps upkeep the home and he does the gardening and he does all of that. And he right. comes over to see you and he brushes his like dirty hands off on his pants and he walks Dances up to you and yeah. yeah, talks to you. And there are no red flags with that. No. Nope. You think, okay, what a well-adjusted young man putting things in place kind to the people that open their home to him right responsible like there's all of these things that come to mind until he starts talking <laughs> i think well in the killing that'll well um, that'll do it too but yeah actually okay so fun fact about ted is that if he spoke to a woman for more than 20 minutes she was quote unquote no good as a victim so Really, I guess what the case is, is like humanize the fuck out of yourself to everyone you talk to. Because he was like, man, I just got to like kill a girl right now and get some. And if you're like, oh, my gosh, I love my dog. Your dog looks just like my dog. He'd be like, fuck, no, you're a human. He's like, damn it. Shit. Now I know you have a dog. I know too much about <laughs> you. You're safe. OK. Yeah. And that's why the women in his life that he was close with were never in any danger. Isn't that terrifying? He would not have done a single fucking thing to anyone he knew. Ugh. So all of that to say, Ted was great in psychology. 
He kept A's and B's. He learned all about it. He liked to know what would um, make someone deviant. And he took classes on deviant psychology and like development. He also was super interested in jury verdicts and what would swing a jury, interestingly enough. So he did a lot of studying with both law and psychology. I mean, that's literally a combination of what you and I both have spent a combined decade learning about. And we are both very interested in jury selection yeah. and, and how they vote. Oh, it's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating. But I'm a what, little I'm a little perturbed that what we a share this foreshadow, right? Yeah, that we like, share this with Ted Bundy. And that's the thing about Ted Bundy is everybody I think has something that they have to come to terms with with him because he is just a little too normal for most people to swallow. It's like, okay, do I fault him for being upset about his childhood? No, do I fault him for feeling lied to? No. I fault him for the violence and the things that he did that he quote unquote couldn't control. But sir, you, you have options. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you don't have to do that. If you can't control yourself, you can get yourself checked in somewhere. You can get that help. And as someone who studied psychology, he fucking knows what help is available. Mm-hmm. But what's fascinating to me and truly, I think the more sinister undertone of this is as we look at those diagnostics And the utter lack of empathy, the lack of care, the clinical level of a lack of empathy here. And he did so well in psychology. So he was just a sponge learning all of this to like go out and fit in. Mm -hmm. And that's what's creepy to me is like, ooh, okay, you're not interested in learning it because you're like, ooh, it's so wild. What gets people there? It's like, oh, how do I get under the radar? It's interesting because you and I could go and sit in psychology classes and we did and we're like, okay, as the norm, what is it to be on the edge of the norm? What is it to be on the outskirts of that and to be, you know, not among the the bell curve, right? right. Not not in the the norm, the the typical place. He is going there saying, I am on the outside. What is it like to be on the inside? Right. So he's taking these classes and he's like, okay, so how do I he's doing it the reverse way he's like okay how do i assimilate then yes how do i how do i chameleon this is my way is like human studies (laughs) but it's just like we could be in the same room and it's for very different reasons right in that way same exact room and he was good at it he was really good his professors liked him like that's the thing that's fascinating to me everybody even to the end like the very end anybody that ever reported ted did not do so because of his personality. They all, there were only four reports, only four of everyone he'd ever met. And every single one of them made a comment that there was nothing about his personality that made them think it was him. There just were too many similarities that lined up, Mm -hmm. which is nuts. So he was, he was fucking good at it. Oh yeah. He learned to mask. But during this time, he met Liz Klepfer. Really quick, I've also seen Kendall, and I believe that her legal name is Elizabeth Kendall, but there have been so many things that come out on Ted Bundy that I think Klepfer was like an alias at some point. Mm-hmm. So anyway, Elizabeth, Klend- Elizabeth Kendall and Elizabeth Klepfer are the same person, if you ever see that out and about. Okay. But 
they met and Liz was like a few years older than Ted and she had this really cute three-year-old daughter named Molly. Liz was whimsical. She had been on a rebound from a divorce and she took her daughter to Seattle. She was like a little hesitant, but um, she did allow Ted to buy her a beer when they met at a bar out in Seattle one night. And they became friends and then lovers. So both of them like invested in each other. And I think this is kind of cute because they like spent a lot of time together. She didn't want to be hasty. He was still hung up on Diane. So for him, it was like, okay, here's something to do, which mm-hmm. is not fair or respectful to Liz at all. But, you know, it's Ted Bundy, so he doesn't really care about that. And it was like this kind of match made in heaven, right? Because for her, she and I watched, oh my gosh, I watched that Amazon series Falling for a Killer, like the Ted Bundy thing. Mm-hmm. It's all Elizabeth Kendall. It is like four hours of just her giving her story of what happened. While they were together. Yeah, which is fascinating. And even a little bit after, too. But according to her, she was like very shy, very socially anxious. Like, it was very funny to me because in my family, we talk a lot about like the difference in vocabulary. For our generation, it's very easy to talk about mental health. We have terms for that. We have a vocabulary that we can work with to explain what we're experiencing. And a lot of people in older generations don't have that. It wasn't normalized. It wasn't explained. And so it's very endearing to me to listen to her talk because she's like, I just every time I like talked to people, I got like really worked up, like my heart rate would go crazy. And like, I would just get like really self-critical. And I was like, oh, that's just social anxiety, babe. Like we all got it. (laughs) But like, it was like crippling for her. And at this point, I mean, it was better to be a single mom in the 60s and 70s, but it wasn't much better than the 40s, you know? Mm -hmm. And For her, she says Ted was like this knight in shining armor. Like he came in and made her feel normal. Like what his mom needed when she met Johnny Bundy. Right. Okay. And so he came in and he played played the fucking role. And she believed in him. And I think this is what latched onto him. Because he was like, she she believes in the vision of myself that I have. Even though at his core he really doesn't he fucking hates himself but you best believe he's the bee's knees right because damn it isn't he doesn't he deserve that isn't he Mm -hmm. so it's a fascinating combo for her it was like from what i can understand i'm not her but like from what i understand it was like okay this is my shield like he was her mask almost of Mm -hmm. like okay i can do this i got this i'll fake it till i make it and technically that, in case you were wondering, that doesn't exist. You don't fake it till you make it. You just do it until you believe it. But I think for her, she thought of it as think like faking it. Ah, all right. I feel normal around him. With him, I can do this. Without him, I can't. Yeah. And I personally think that that was probably a dynamic that he played a role in setting. I don't know that that was entirely organic. <laughs> um, yeah, he could chameleon to make himself what... He knew that she wanted him to be or wanted a partner to be and he could do that. And he played stepdad. He'd play with Molly. They'd play hide and seek. They did Christmases together. There's photos of him like camping with them, cooking on the grill. Like he committed to the fucking bit. And there is no evidence that he abused that child at all? There is. Okay. All right. Um, Not that anybody found out until pretty recently, actually. 
I believe the Amazon series came out in 2021 or 2022. And she does talk about that happening, but she didn't ever tell her mom. Oh, so Molly's in the series too. Yes. Okay. Which is awesome. Actually, there's so many good interviews with victims here. I think that's part of why I have such good information. Um, and this one series, it was so much. It was so good. But there is some evidence of that. Yeah. Oh, no. Now, I am otherwise, like, unless I bring up Molly more, which I just have a few quotes from her to, like, explain the dynamics better later. But I'm mostly going to leave her out of it. Okay. She fucking deserves a break, dude. Yeah. <laughs> she does. So I would request that you also do that, please. But um, Ted was good to Liz, like actually genuinely good. And when getting ready to do the Netflix series, what is it? The extremely wicked, shockingly evil and vile. Oh, yeah. That's the one with Zac Efron. That movie. Yeah. Well, what I loved about that fun fact is the director tracked down and reached out to Elizabeth Kendall to get her approval because he wasn't going to do it without her good and she had so much input on that which is awesome um and like i love that she's willing to share this story because it's heartbreaking for her you can see it and even the dynamics between her and her child like elizabeth in old age liz and molly and the way they understand each other and the way she could be like i didn't I didn't tell her certain things because I didn't want him to be able to like get his hooks into her again or like the way she sort of describes her journey to sobriety after all of this because who the fuck wouldn't have a like a journey to sobriety after all of this you know what I mean and I just like I wish I could give her a hug she blames mm-hmm. herself for way more of it than she should yeah yeah no he's responsible for her his actions yeah and it ends there you didn't ask him to do any of that so and you didn't know (laughs) wow yeah but it was good for a while i mean ted is a vastly contradictory person and he is capable of so much normalcy in his life and like was he there all the time no he didn't live with them he stayed there a lot because he was dating liz but like they didn't live together they weren't married and as time goes on like they were together for years they did start talking about it But for him, he always wanted to be the man first. Like he wanted to like get his law degree first and get everything in order before they deal with that. Of course, he also wasn't telling her that he was also hoping to win Diane back. But like. Right. He left that part out. Right. No, it's an easy part to forget, you know. Mm -hmm. But he did yearn to be a good man. Uh, You can only push down the truth for so long, Mm -hmm. you know. So I do just really quick. We're almost done here. I'm going to go over the call center, which is how he knows Anne Rule. And then we'll get into the first of his 14 victims in 1974 alone. Ugh. All right. So as 1969 became 1970, Ted was growing in his reputation and status. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Liz, while supportive and kind, knew nothing of Diane and her figurative capture of Ted's imagination, if you will. Ted became more successful and his confidence was starting to rise as he met our friend Anne Rule. Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely recommend reading The Stranger Beside Me. It's so good. Anne Rule is an author who's done like a plethora of true crime, but she also has a lot of close work with law enforcement, especially in the Bundy case. 
because she had sort of like a niche on the serial killer true crime market. So they would talk to her, she would post articles, and they would all sort of work together to try to solve this thing. All the while, she already knew him. Right. And she had no idea. Actually, okay, super fun fact. There's no reason for me to put this in the story, so I didn't. But it got to a point when the murders were at their peaks and, like, everybody knew that, like, shit was hitting the fan, that they were taking any suggestions to figure out a connection, any theme, anything. And Anne Rule had this friend who was an astrologist who saw that, like, the moon charts of all of the murders were in a pattern. And she was fucking, like, on it. She was like, I don't think he's intentionally doing it, but, like, the moon is either in, like, Pisces or Sag or something like that, and it was every other one. Hmm. It was nuts. Because Anne Rule explains it as, like, she gave her this little paper, and she guessed what day the next crime was going to be. And she was like, don't open until after this day. And she was fucking on the money. Damn. But Anne was like, I had to like raise my hand in a conference full of law enforcement officers when the chief was like, is there anything? And she's like, did you look at the moon? (laughs) Says the moon sign is a thing. And they were like, this is why we don't let women in here. (laughs) Oh, my God. Anyway, I think that's fun. But she says that she likes Ted. Right. I mean, they're friends. Yeah. And I think that this is a very interesting place for them to meet. So they meet at this call center, right? It's a crisis line for pretty much any crisis somebody could be going through. But in my mind, I think like suicide hotline Mm -hmm. is primarily what they're dealing with, I think. And it should be noted that nobody who worked or volunteered there was a psychologist, like a psychologist, psychologist. But they did all have to go through extensive training. I believe this was like Ted's work study job at school. So he worked there 40 hours a week. He made money, but he was there all night. Wow. He would be there from 9 p.m. to 9 a.m. every night. Just a quick little note here, if I may. Yeah. Um, That current line would be 988, should you need it. Yes. Good. Very nice. Um, And you won't get Ted Bundy, which is even better. So, but... They just clicked like Anne worked four hour shifts, maybe once or twice a week, but it was always at night. So it was always her and Ted. It was in like the capital area in Washington. And it was like a little more crime ridden at the time. I mean, it is the 70s. So like everyone's getting away with everything and doing drugs at the end of the 60s. So like Mm. that sort of transition period. But Anne also says the nights weren't always busy. Like, obviously, sometimes there are. And they got close really fast. I think part of that is probably the trauma bond of working in a crisis center. Absolutely. A lot of people, law enforcement, EMT, like first responders, people who work with a chronically traumatizing population get very close with their coworkers because you go through all this shit with these people. Mm -hmm. And that naturally bonds humans. That's just like something we have innately in us. But also like here, think about it. They're doing good things. And I mean, most people who work in these fields like are attempting to do good things, but like they both share this moral, right? They share this value. We believe in human life. We believe in like, mm-hmm. which is so funny to Talking think about. Talking people off the ledge and trying to connect with people from mm-hmm. afar over the phone and and Anne describes Ted as chivalrous. She all, he always walked her to her car at the end of every shift. 
like to the door, watched her lock the door and was like, there are crazy people out there, Anne. Wow. Yes. And she was like, literally, at some point, I remember thinking if he was a little bit younger, I wish one of my daughters would have been able to date him. Wow. Yeah. Like she trusted him. And Ted would listen to her problems and give advice. And he told her about some of his issues. So it was like mutual in that way. But she really only recalls, or at least only writes about recalling a conversation where he talks about like processing going between Liz and Diane in his head. Mm. Where he's like, well, Liz, like I could see the whole thing. Like I could see a marriage. I could see a family. I could see like a future. But Diane, like I just can't stop thinking about her. I think about her all the time. I miss her. (laughs) And to her, he was a means to an end, a fun fling. Right. But it was never that serious. Yeah, never went that deep. He was all in. And now it was around this time that Ted actually reached back out to Diane. He wanted to show her all the work he'd done. Come on. He looked outward inward. All right. Now he has prospects. He went back to school. He knows what his career is going to be. He's like friends with all the political people. Diane, come on. Yeah, Diane. Damn it, Diane. Love me, Diane. Surprisingly, and maybe not, she was like, wait, okay, this could work. Hmm. So the two start talking again and they're talking on the phone. They're writing letters and eventually they like take a visit to see each other. And it wasn't long. It was just short, but they caught up and it went well. Fuck you, Ted. You're cheating on Liz. And then they start talking, right? I mean, yeah, let's not forget. Ted is still with Liz at this point, who has a three-year-old. So (sighs) that's really good and thoughtful of you and responsible, Ted. But um, Ted and Diane were, like, seriously talking about engagement. This one time they got together? They got together maybe a few times over a span of a few months. But they were like, this is it. We're going to do it. Okay. Um, And then Diane came out for like a week. I don't know if it was finals week or right before or right after or something. Because she's in California and he's still in Oregon. So he's in Washington. Excuse yeah. me, Washington. So they're like traveling to see each other. They're right. not still local. Correct. Okay. And she comes out. She sees him. They have this whole thing. The last night she's like, oh, maybe we'll like fuck a little bit. And he like doesn't touch her. He doesn't give her a kiss goodbye, I think. Well, because he's in a committed relationship. uh, Right. And he wouldn't wouldn't cheat on his. Oh, never mind. Um, But they are serious about engagement. So she goes back. Right. And she's like, okay, it's happening. It's happening. And then she doesn't hear from him. He doesn't call. He doesn't write. And she calls him and she's like, Ted, what the fuck? Mm. Ted she's like you can't just like drop me like I don't exist and he literally in the phone was like I have no idea what you're talking about hung up immediately after saying that and never spoke to her again oh shit this petty fucking man did all of this to convince her that he was as good as he thought he was so that she would want to get married to him so he could reject her. That's why? Yeah. The whole thing the was whole just so... The whole fucking thing. So he didn't actually really want her. No. He just wanted Petty to... Petty Teddy boy. ...to be able to tell her, oh, wait, actually, no, I'm going to break up with you. Her. What a dick. He didn't even want it to be, like, a good date. Like, he wanted to, like, 
you imagine your life with me. Daydream about it. I have no idea what you're talking about. Click. Oh. Yeah. The gaslighting. Oh, it's starting. (laughs) So we're going to skip through some time, though, because in the next few years, like that's pretty much the gist of what happens between 69 and 74 when everything starts hitting the fan. Mm -hmm. Um, He's still with Liz. They are sort of like back and forth. I don't think she ever fucking knew about Diane ever. Well, but Diane still held some piece of him. The fact that every victim looked like her. Yes. I think Diane was his first true rage. And I think that's what it was. Not true love. True rage. It was the first time he felt unjustly rejected. And he was going to make her feel that too. And now every girl that looks like you will also feel that. Right. Because fuck you. You're not really bright. You don't really have a great future. You don't even know what I'm worth. Ugh. Yeah, it's bad. So there's a little of note for development in Ted in these years in between other than his, you know, self-spiraling and loathing and rage. But Ted essentially flounders between not being able to get into law school of his dreams, deciding to go to his backup college and only doing so-so there. And it just like, it like wasn't what he was imagining. Like he thought he was going to be like the super hot, sexy lawyer that like all the girls wanted and he made like all the money in the world. And it just like wasn't happening like that. He like had to go to the University of Utah for his law degree. He didn't even get into Yale. (laughs) How could they not see what they missed? Did he get his law degree? No. Okay. He's a dumb shit. And in the middle of trying to get a law degree, he spirals into like a... Killing people. A homicidal spree, yeah. Gotcha. I forgot about that part. He did tell Liz at some point. He was like, I just feel so bad. Like, I'm so distracted. I can't keep up with my classwork the way I used to. And in that like Amazon Prime thing, she was like, well, now I know what he was distracted with. It was fucking murdering people. But like (laughs) (laughs) at the time, we just thought he was having trouble with classes. So we're going to talk about Ted's first confirmed victim. I'm very excited to sort of get into this progression or regression with you if you will Mm. because as we'll see like in criminal justice right we talk a lot about the escalation we talk about the warning signs what do you see in someone that gets them to this point and this is the only case that I have any sense of escalation from Ted so this case is not a murder she is not his first dead victim Karen Sparks Epley is still alive But she is his first victim because she was found in her bed on January 5th, 1974. On the night of January 4th, 1974, it is believed that Karen Epley was asleep in her bed when someone came inside, Ted. And this is like trigger warning, trigger warning, trigger warning. Okay. It's bad. It's a... descriptive so if you need to fast forward do that but we have an interview from karen from this amazon prime no actually karen's interview was from the um conversations with a killer the serial killer tapes with Mm -hmm. ted bundy on netflix and it was in like 2021 or 2022 and it's the first time karen's ever spoken on it wow ever so it was very brave it was very courageous of her to do but she recalls to the best of her ability, that she was 
home in her college dorm. Basically, she was in like the university district in Washington. She was studying poli sci at the University of Washington. Mm. And she had a beautiful shoulder length, dark hair haircut that was parted in the middle. And honestly, some of the most striking facial features I've ever seen. She has like the cutest little like dimple in her chin. And <laughs> she's got like a jawline cut to the freaking gods. Yes, bitch. But on the night of January 4th, Ted broke into this apartment. He pulled a metal rod off of her bed frame. Off of her, out of her bed frame. Out of her bed frame, yes. Wow. He used that rod to smash her skull in. And then with the same rod, he sodomized her vagina and urethra. So where your pee comes out, it split her bladder. Oh, my God. It wrecked her genitals, if you will. And Karen laid in bed alive for 18 to 20 hours before someone came and found her. Oh, my God. She sat with that TBI mutilated, sodomized for a day. And her roommate came down the next day to be like, huh, you're sleeping a long time. And he found her covered in blood. Oh, my God. And she couldn't say anything. She was like, it's a terrible way for someone to find someone. But she couldn't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And Your head's says, been beaten and what can you do? Yeah. She says the next thing she remembers is waking up in the hospital and thinking, oh, my God, this is bad. Because if the next thing you remember is waking up in the hospital, spoiler alert, it's bad. Okay. Um, And this hurts my little heart because this is definitely something that like I could see Mr. Abel Dabbleson doing. But she says when she woke up, she her dad was there and she asked what happened. And he said, oh, honey, you just got a little bump on your head. Oh, yeah. I bet he couldn't even say the words. No. He had to put in the police report that was like, my daughter was brutally attacked and we don't know who did it. And he's still out there. Karen remembered locking the door the night before, but the day she was found, the door was unlocked. Um, And ultimately from these injuries, Karen got a traumatic brain injury. She lost 50% of her hearing. 40% of her vision. She deals with constant vertigo and she even had a very significant period of time where she had intense epileptic fits. Wow. The fact that she is fucking talking, the fact that she's walking, astounding. Wow. She has kids and she said she literally has never brought it up because she refuses to let them see her as a victim. So I'm going to focus on how fucking phenomenal it is. That this woman can share her story at all. Also incredible that she was able to have children after that. Mm -hmm. That brutal of an attack sometimes can be so damaging that that isn't an option anymore. Yeah. Wow. So she is happily married. She has a loving, bright family. Oh, that's awesome. She... Got through her epileptic fits, so it seems like she hasn't had one of those in quite some time, so that's good news. And she is a survivor. She is literally so blessed. Like, she is the definition of a miracle. To be bashed in. She's a fighter. Yeah. And she's just, like, such a little cute thing. And so 
there's like a thing that you can see in someone's face when they have trauma like mm-hmm. and like capital t trauma like not like like everyone has trauma the definition mm-hmm. of trauma is really just going through something that you're not prepared to process so you get in a car accident that's trauma mm-hmm. but like capital t trauma you've seen like the eyes of some fucking devil shit mm-hmm. you can see in some you've looked death in the face trauma and she she has it but she's also still got that light mm-hmm. which is mind-boggling for ted fucking bundy's first victim and she didn't know him nope they weren't friends they didn't know each other they had no history he didn't know who she was but he knew enough to know where she lived to know how to get into her home Mm -hmm. and to know which room was hers and with the history we know of him as an adolescent we know that he was into voyeurism so my guess is he probably had a few houses that he cased that he knew who was there that he might be interested in and well hers was either the most convenient or the most interesting for the first one so wow amazing amazing that karen epley lived but karen epley is a survivor and she's still out there surviving and kicking good for her names you know jesus so friends this is part one of ted's journey Stay tuned with us for the next likely two installments where we'll cover dozens more victims, Ted's escalation and downward spiral, followed by all of the jail escapes, courtroom drama, and execution. Spoiler alert, but it's been 50 years, so I'm not that worried about the spoiler alerts. (laughs) (laughs) I cannot wait to share with you more. And much like the Nexium series, I am just going to do a quick like victim count at the end of each episode. So today was a short list, but let's take a moment to respect and honor baby Ted, unfortunately, Anne-Marie Burr and Karen Sparks Epley. Wow. I have so much fucking information about Ted Bundy in my head right now. And now so do we. So thanks. Hey, (laughs) well, now you've got the background. You've got the diagnoses. You can kind of start to see his thought pattern with the maladaptive cogs turning if you will Mm -hmm. as well and we're going to get into it but ali was right he does not waste any fucking time which tells me there is no fucking way no there's no way this was his first victim no someone else experienced that either they died or they never came forward Mm -hmm. and you never know who was before that and we know that he traveled we know that he did not solely commit crimes in washington Mm mm-hmm we have Washington, Utah. Um, I don't remember if there was one in Vermont. There might have been one in Vermont. Definitely Florida. Definitely Florida. Like he was a traveler, this man. So we're going to get into all of that next week. And then my thought process is so that I'm not giving you like 18 hours of content <laughs> in one sitting. Um, we'll probably do a third episode and My guess is that's going to go from like the courtroom, first court, Mm -hmm. into the escape and then capture and then second court and execution. So I like it. Next week, be prepared to bring your tissues. The week after, be prepared to bring popcorn. We'll celebrate. All right. All right. I like it. Well, thank you for. I'm so excited. A good part one. A great part one, if you will. Um, I would just like to also encourage you guys to not forget about the giveaway. 
Hell no. The instructions for that are below in the description box, so I won't waste your time saying it again, but we would encourage you all to enter because we're very excited about the giveaway <laughs> and, and we never just pick one winner. Let's just put it that no. way. Yeah. So we are <laughs> very much looking forward to it. We can't wait to see you next time. Please don't forget to rate, review, follow, tell a friend, share. All um, good, do good. all the things help us grow i'd love to see another 888 percent growth into next year because oh, how incredible would that be amazing um but we can't do that without you guys hell no so thank you for being with us we love you so much we're kissing all your cute little faces and your little pod pets send us more pod pets send them all you can do that on instagram and you could find our Instagram at about time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that is a B O U T period T I M E period F O R period T R U E period C R I M E period P O D because podcast was too long. Also on our Instagram, you can find the people, places, things. You can find that attachment theory chart we were talking about. And you can always see our mental health resources, all of the cute pod pets you've already sent us. And literally anything fun and true crime related. But if you wanted to send us like a little case recommendation or your thoughts on Teddy Boy's childhood or like knees of steel or whatever, if you think that he's handsome or if you agree with me that he looks like that seal from Finding Dory, you could do that via email. But Allie, where would they email you? So if you wanted to email us any of those things or anything else, you could do that at about time, the number four tc at gmail.com so that's a-b-o-u-t-t-i-m-e numeric for tc at gmail.com we cannot wait to see you guys there and i cannot wait to see you guys next week to cover 1974 to 1978 baby ow ow all right so if i do look at my watch that was about, about time, time for true crime, crime. Bye. bye bye